There are many ways that we give praise to the Lord. One of the ways which God likes to hear is when we recite and listen to his word that he has given us and protected it through the years. Our scripture this morning is taken from Psalm 24. In fact, it is the entire psalm. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up your ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. For those who are hurting, we're a harbor for those who are lost. Sometimes it's not always easy bearing Calvary's cross. We've been ridiculed by those don't know him and mocked by those who don't believe still I love standing up for my Jesus cause of all that he's done for me that's why I am not ashamed of the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, I am not afraid to be counted, but I'm willing to give my life. See, I'm ready to be all He wants me to be. Give up the wrong. I know I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
For every moment his hand has held mercy. For all the love that he's shown all my life. A simple thanks doesn't say how I'm feeling. I get tears in my eyes. Thank you, ladies. So as for me, I'm gonna keep on in the one who's been so faithful to me I'm not out to leave this whole world around me I've got my mind on eternity that's why I am not ashamed of the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not afraid. Oh, I am not afraid to be counted, but I'm willing to give my life. See, I'm ready to be all He wants me to be. Give up the wrong for the right. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed? Can you say it with your friends? I am not ashamed of the gospel. I've got too much behind me to let this world bind me. To some he's a name, but to me he's my everything. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Say it with me. I am not ashamed. I've got too much behind me to let this world bind me. To some he's a name, but to me he's my everything. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, this morning, I just uh, pray for me. Uh, I ask you to do that. I am battling um, vertigo. And so, because there are more of you on this side, the church seems to be tilted this way for me. I, I, I don't get, I, I, can, I can drive with vertigo. I've trained myself to do this. I've had it for years and years. Uh, I just keep my head on a level plane and there's no problem. But if I tip it one way, so... You need to have more people on this side. Would Your instruction is to bring more people to balance that out. That would be really helpful for me. Well, let me share with you our scripture. It comes out in the book of Romans in the first chapter, uh, verse two, uh, well, verses 16 and 17, page uh, 1747, if you can get there before I finish reading it. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness, pardon me, that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. If you can, I want you to travel back in time. For some of you, it'll be not too far back for you, but for others of you, it's a long way back there. A.D. 57. We're in a narrow bridge of land between the mainland Greece and the Peloponnese, where a Roman city takes in a fortune from the heavy-laden ships as they dock there and travel across the uh, isthmus and then put on other ships and are taken uh, farther on to Greece and other places. Outside the city in the home of a wealthy and hospitable Christian named Gaius, two men discuss a scroll. One paces the room, pouring out his thoughts to the other, who sits at a large table taking down many notes. The speaker, he walks around the room, his arms and face bear the marks of wind and sun and age and mistreatment. His fingers are knotted and curled and fused in an unnatural angle. It's the telltale sign of multiple stonings. You'd expect that a body like this would contain a broken, demoralized spirit, but the eyes reveal something very different. The city they're in is Corinth. The one pacing the floor, walking around the room as he speaks is the Apostle Paul. The document they're preparing will eventually become the Apostle's letter to the church in Rome. Little does Paul or anyone else realize the impact that this document will have throughout the centuries. Paul's journey to this place and time has been a, a winding one. He was born in a cosmopolitan city of Tarshish. Paul matured in the shadow of the great temple in Jerusalem. Within its enormous gleaming white walls, he learned at the feet of the most famous rabbi of all, Gamel. Though he was a Roman citizen, he was first and foremost a son of the covenant. Covenant. He was a Pharisee. He studied the law of Moses and devoted himself to fulfill every letter of tradition. He immersed himself in the rituals of the Pharisees. But his life took on an unexpected turn. While on the road to Damascus, in order to silence and persecute Christians, there the risen Jesus Christ confronted him and rebuked him and changed him, and then sent him on a new course for his life. The righteousness that he coveted would not be found in the traditions of the Pharisees, but in the faith of the very people he sought to kill. They embraced him and they showed him the source of their goodness. 
They were merely passing on the righteousness that they had received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's encounter with the risen Christ transformed him. His future lay not in Jerusalem and the works of the law, but out among the Gentiles, preaching grace and living by faith. Instead of stamping out Christianity, he'd become an apostle, traveling more than 20,000 miles between Jerusalem and Rome, proclaiming the gospel wherever ears had never heard of it. Paul had long admired the congregation in the capital city. Although he had not founded that church in Rome, uh, he hadn't even visited it. He shared very close connections with several leading members. Many had been his partners in ministry. Some were cellmates in the early days of evangelism. Several were the fruit of his labors in other regions. And their obedience to the word of God and faithfulness to one another had become legendary among other churches. This could not have been easy, given the unique pressures in Rome. At the time of Paul's writing, the population of Rome exceeded one million people, nearly half of whom were bond servants and recently freed slaves. And like modern metropolitan centers, Rome was a wonderful place to live for the elite and challenging for everybody else. The divide between the rich and the poor constantly kept city officials on edge as the lower classes were never far from rioting. Most of them lived uh, amid rampant street crime in squalid high-rise apartment buildings as tall as five or six stories with no sanitation or water available above the first floor. The great divide between the picturesque villas of the privileged on the hills and the crime-ridden slums that comprised most of the city left the residents to fend for themselves, which they did by congregating according to race. In other words, first century Rome was not unlike present-day Paris or even parts of New York City. Ethnic neighborhoods became governments unto themselves, vying for dominance while maintaining an uneasy peace with one another to avoid persecution by the government. Life was hard for everyone, but being a Christian in that environment made it even worse. For both Jewish and Gentile Christians, the price of discipleship often meant loss of family and clan, which included the safety that they could provide. And by A.D. 64, the feelings uh, proved to be justified. Nero went mad. His persecution of the Christians became so shockingly brutal that citizens actually began to pity the Christians. The letter to Rome casts a vision for the future and urged them to become Paul's partners in accomplishing God's plan. When churches take their eyes off of the horizon and God, they inevitably, the inevitable result is that what they call a survival mentality. 
rather than accomplish the plans of God to redeem and transform his creation, they forget their reason for being, which begins a long and agonizing slide into irrelevance. Irrelevant churches fret inconsequential matters. They nitpick their leadership, criticize one another, experiment with worldly strategies for growth, and chase vain philosophies. Meanwhile, their surrounding communities hear little of Christ, and what they do hear is really unattractive. Paul challenged the believers in Rome with the enormous undertaking of evangelization of the newly expanded empire towards the West. God's grand plan of which all were invited to become part is nothing less than the creator's intention to bring his creation back under divine dominion, to cleanse it of evil, to redeem, to reclaim, to renovate the universe so that it again reflects his glory. The plan of salvation is good news to each individual. The English term gospel comes from the Middle English compound good spell, where spell means tale. The gospel is a good story. The Greek term described a favorable report of a messenger from a battlefield or the official proclamation that an heir to the king had been born. It's the gospel, it's good news. Paul tells us that he's not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is all about salvation. And not just any salvation, but our salvation. Left to ourselves, we're desperate in desperate trouble. We're in trouble because every one of us has broken God's law. We stand condemned by God's law, and we are on the path of increased frustration and despair. And in the end, we're going to face God his, by his just wrath and condemnation and a final execution of his sentence against us for our transgression of his law. But let me say there is good news. God has intervened to pay the penalty for sin and transgression of his law through the work of his divine son, Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for all of mine and your sin, present and future. He took the entire record of our transgression and paid the penalty in full so that the justice of God was completely satisfied. By asking Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin and believing that he did so, I've received a full pardon from God the Father. He stamped across my record paid in full. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for me because in Christ Jesus, I've been set free from the law of sin and of death. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone. That is, it's not only good news, not only a matter of salvation, not only a way of salvation from God, it's also powerful enough to accomplish God's purpose which is to save us from sin. I want to stop and just say that there is so much parallel to what 
this passage is talking about and where our society is today. Great persecution is coming on Christians. We've seen some, but there's going to be so much more in the days ahead. And we Christians are going to have to stand up. We, I was talking uh, earlier with someone and saying, you know, so many churches are losing members because people just don't want to go to church anymore. Why don't they want to go to church? It's you. You're not sharing the gospel, the good news. Too many of us have become ashamed or at least embarrassed by the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be saved? Salvation has three tenses. I have been saved, I'm being saved, and one day I will be saved. Now watch this. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of my sin is? It's hell. Eternal separation from God. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. I have been saved, past tense. But I'm also being saved right now, day by day, from the power of sin. That doesn't mean I'm sinless. It just means I sin a little less, at least than I used to. It means I'm growing in Christ, and that's called being saved from the power of sin. But one day, I'm going to die, and I'll go to a place where there won't even be the existence of sin. It's heaven. That's when I'll be saved from even the presence of sin. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. That's what Paul calls justification. I'm being saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification and one day I'm going to be saved from even the presence of sin and the Bible calls that glorification that's what the gospel has power to do it has the power to save you turning back to Paul for a moment during this time that he was writing this a passage the Roman Empire was putting Christians to death Christians were being executed. They were accused of being cannibals. Yeah, I said it, cannibals. Well, it's because they talked about eating the body and drinking the blood of their founder. And those unspiritual minds of Rome, that sounded like cannibalism to them. So it was an excuse for them to start to execute Christians. But also many Christians were being executed because they were called atheists. Now how could Christians be called atheists? Simple. If you would have gone to Rome during that time, you would have found a beautiful temple, the Pantheon, where all the different Roman gods had little niches or little alcoves. In this building, there were little shelves, and on each shelf there was an icon or a statue representing all the polytheism of the Romans. There was a God for every day of the week that you could worship at. There was a God for every month of the year. There was a God for every holiday. There was a God for every vocation. In addition, they had plenty of empty alcoves in that uh, temple. And when the Christians came along, the Romans said, hey, come on, we've got room for another God. Just bring your Jesus and put him up on this shelf with these other gods. But the early Christians wouldn't accept that. 
They just wouldn't do it. They said, no, and Jesus is not one of many gods. Jesus is the only God. So they refused to believe in these gods, and they were killed for being atheists. And it's in that context in which Paul said, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I come to preach the gospel in Rome. Now, we too, here in America, 2019, should not be ashamed of the gospel or even embarrassed by it. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. That is, it's not only good news, not only a matter of salvation, not only a way of salvation that came from God, it's also powerful enough to accomplish God's purpose, which is to save us from sin. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. What Paul's really saying here is the gospel has power. He says the power is from God. It's not man's power. Man did not originate the gospel story. It came from God. Rome understood power. Rome was the center of military power. The greatest army of the world uh, was based in Rome. It was the center of governmental power. The Roman Senate was the pinnacle of human power. The Caesars lived there. It was the height of cultural power because Rome was the center of the Greek Hellenized culture throughout the world. So they understood power, but that was human power. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It's a supernatural kind of power. It's like uh, the word power in the Bible. It comes from the Greek word dunamis. We get our words dynamite and dynamo from it. That's the word used for the gospel. The gospel is exciting. It's powerful. It's explosive. Anytime the gospel is shared, something is going to happen because it's the power from God. You know, I, I'm ashamed of a lot of things. I'm ashamed of the things that I have done, things that I failed to do. I'm ashamed of seeing those who are hurting, yet passing by while looking the other way from them. I'm ashamed of not taking the time to celebrate with those whose joy has overflowed around me. I'm ashamed of failing to help the lost find their way. I'm ashamed of the days I've wasted to, the grace I've tested and, and that I failed to give God my best. Oh, there are a lot of things that I'm ashamed of, but I can say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of my Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, I am a member of the fellowship of the unshamed. I have Holy Spirit power. I've stepped over the line the decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't slow down. I won't back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living or sidewalking or small planning or smooth knees. Same kind of visions, mundane talking chintzy giving and dwarf goals. I no longer need 
preeminence or prosperity or promotions. The session is glad to hear that from me. Or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or recognized or rewarded or praised. I now live by, by the present. I lean forward by faith. I walk by patience. I lift by prayer and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven and my road is narrow. And the way is rough. My companions are few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I won't give up or shut up or let up until I've stayed up, prayed up, preached for the cause of Christ. This morning I declare I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. I declare to you that Jesus Christ will deliver you from hopelessness, depression and anger and addiction and loneliness and emptiness and sickness and sinfulness. And it's so simple to receive his grace. All you do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So what I'm going to do in just a moment is pray and I want to invite you to join with me in not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, the hardest part of not being ashamed is when we have to put it into practice. And you give us the power, you give us the words, you give us the strength, and you give us the courage if we will receive it. Help us to have that courage and power to share the gospel as you lead us into people's lives. For there are people out there that only we can speak to because, well, we know. Not only do we know them, but we've experienced some of what they have experienced or are experiencing. And we can share honestly from what we've seen and what we've experienced and what we believe you're doing in our lives. So give us the opportunities to share our faith with other people, to share our hope with other people, to share your love with other people around us. We pray this and commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.